Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most high-profile, high the most notable, the most gruesome homicide cases in Maryland, they are examined, they are profiled, and they are discussed. For this season, season six, the focus is on uh, robbery-related murders or Basically, murders where the victim was killed simply because the killer wanted something that they had. Didn't want to work for it. And like I said in the last episode, trust me, in the state of Maryland, Maryland has a lot of these types of homicides. And I only selected 10 of the most horrific. And this is only like part one. There will eventually be a part two. But from right now, season six... I only focused on 10 homicide cases. So with that being said, let's get right on into it and focus on this particular episode. On this episode, the senseless murder of 26-year-old pharmacist Yvette Adrian Beeks will be profiled. And as in each and every season, there will be an unsolved homicide that needs special attention that will also be profiled on this episode. And for this episode... The unsolved shooting murder of 28-year-old Jasmine Chandler will be examined and profiled. Now, let me tell y'all something right now. This next case right here, this one right here really, really, really like grinds my gears. I mean, ooh, it just really, really, ooh, it gets under my skin. I mean, maybe it's because... I cannot imagine the excruciating fear like this next victim had to have felt. Did she know she was going to die? Plus, you know, I don't know if it was like Flavor Flav or Public Enemy, but one of them, I think it was, I think it was Flavor Flav. I ain't going to lie. Back in the day, he had a song out that was called 911 is a joke. I'm telling you, I swear to God. And on this particular night, in Bodymore Murderland, in this particular high-profile homicide, 911 proved to be just that, a big-ass joke. It's not funny, I mean, but that joke or mistake or whatever you want to call it, that error in judgment cost the life of a brilliant woman who was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's the mentality of the murderers in Baltimore City. And again, this is a case of teenagers and their stupidity and ignorance with the law and that old defense of, oh, I'm, I'm just a teenager, so what do I know? Ooh, this case, I mean, it gets me every single time I think about it. And when it happened, I immediately felt for the victim because I, I couldn't even imagine in my wildest imagination, my wildest of dreams, what she felt like you know, what she endured 
especially during the last few moments of her life. I mean, the story actually starts from a whole other crime, a whole other issue, a stolen insurance check. 23-year-old Jamal Barnes, who was from the 4300 block of Simone Avenue, had stolen an all-state insurance check in the amount of $1,367. I mean, some kind of way, he managed to get it cashed at a Park Heights check cashing place. When the owner of the check reported, like, the check stolen, and it was traced back to Jamal, he was given the option of repaying all the money back or going to jail. Of course, he had already spent the money, or possibly... It could the possibility also could be that, be that he had it and just didn't want to pay it back. Either way, he chose Plan B, and he came up with the brilliant idea that he was gonna rob somebody for the money. Basically, he was gonna rob somebody to pay back the money that he stole from the stolen insurance check. So this idiot said to himself, "I'm gonna find me a vulnerable victim or a white woman." Who looked like she had money, basically to force her to force her to the ATM where she can get the money to pay for the stolen insurance check. Oh, and then he was like, he was gonna kill her, like ain't nothing ever happened, and just basically get away with it. I mean, I honestly cannot even understand the mentality of this type, but it is what it is. This is how Baltimore killers think. Jamal ain't have a lot of time to come up with the money either or to make no big heist either. So he knew that he needed some help too. So this 23-year-old called three of his teenage friends to help him commit this robbery. He enlisted the help of 17-year-old Brian McMillan, who was from the 2500 block of Garrett Avenue. Brian was also Jamal's brother-in-law. He gave him a Llama 45 caliber semi-automatic handgun. He did provide a handgun. And he called on um, 15-year-old Larry Walker, who was from the 2200 block of Homewood Avenue. And he was the only one who wore like a ski mask. And Jamal also called on another teenager, 15-year-old Brian Wilson, who was from the 2600 block of Garrett Avenue. Every last one of them already had like extensive criminal records even at that young age of 15 and they probably shouldn't have been out on the streets anyway but on uh wednesday august the 8th 2001 the four of them drove around downtown baltimore specifically looking for a white vulnerable woman to rub who simply just looked like she had some money i mean it's crazy and yeah, if y'all wondering, yeah, all four of the dudes was black. So, 26-year-old Yvette Adrian Beeks was originally from the wealthiest area in Maryland, Bethesda. She graduated from Walter Johnson High School in North Bethesda in 1992. Yvette had big dreams of becoming a pharmacist, and after graduating from high school, Yvette worked her way through the University of Maryland and another four more years of school to make her dreams come true. After earning her pharmacy degree, Yvette, she accepted a position as a pharmacist for Kmart stores in uh, Glen Burnie. Yvette built a life for herself and lived with her boyfriend in an apartment in the 6500 block 
of Fable Court in Glen Burnie. And on this humid, scorching night in August, Yvette's boyfriend had no idea that as Yvette headed out to the Pickles Pub in downtown Baltimore City, that it would be the last time that he would see her alive. Around 8 p.m. that night, Yvette left her apartment to meet up with a friend at the bar in downtown. After she met up with that friend, between 10.45 p.m. and 11.30 p.m., she headed back to her apartment in Glen Burnie. What Yvette did not know was that Jamal and his accomplices were out in their 1990 Plymouth van looking for white women who looked like they had money. Maybe, maybe what's that with the current a coach bag or I mean it's crazy and as Yvette got into her 2001 silver Acura CLS and headed home she pulled on the beltway and didn't even know that they had already started following her Jamal thought oh here's one of the like she got you know she's paid like she got money look at the car look at what she's driving so with him behind the wheel of the van he followed the Acura all the way close to her apartment complex off East Ordnance Road in Glen Burnie. Then suddenly he rammed the back of her car, deliberately, just to try to get her to get out of the car and to see what was going on. After Yvette pulled over and got out of the car to inspect the damage, like most of us probably would have done, including myself, especially somebody just rammed the back of your car. When Yvette got out of her car, Larry hopped out of the van holding the gun. The rest of the men forced her into their van. Then 15-year-old Brian Wilson then jumped into Yvette's car behind the driver's seat and both cars then sped off. Now, this way it gets funny. This way it gets trickier. At 11.58 p.m., the first call to 911 came in. The call came from a payphone at a Glen Burnie shopping center that was close to where Yvette lived. The caller just hung up at first. Then the woman calls back minutes later and told the 911 dispatcher that she just saw a car accident where a van ran into the back of another car and when the driver of both cars got out, she reported to the dispatcher that she saw with her own eyes Four black dudes beat and kidnap a white woman and force her into their own car. The woman told the 911 operator that after that, both cars then just drove away. She described both of the cars to a T to the dispatcher. And the 911 dispatcher did send an Anne Arundel County police officer to investigate the first call that had hung up at the payphone. But for some asinine reason, the dispatcher never sent the cops to investigate the second call. Who knows why? Never even mentioned any, mentioned anything about the second call. Why I don't understand. That call had all the details. To this day, I cannot understand why that would happen. Might seem like it was just like some innocent mistake. But maybe everybody shouldn't be a 911 dispatcher especially if somebody's life is involved because of that one mistake Yvette's kidnappers they all managed to get away with nobody even looking for them with Brian Wilson driving Yvette's car and the three other dudes in the van with Yvette 
they drove back to an ATM in Baltimore City where at gunpoint, Yvette was forced to give up the PIN number to her ATM. Brian McMillan then went to the ATM and took out $500 while the rest stayed in the van. After Brian got the money at the ATM, suddenly he, suddenly he came to the conclusion like this kind of might end ugly. You know, I might go to jail. And he wanted like no parts of it. So he asked Jamal to take him home. Jamal was like, oh, and he dropped his brother-in-law off at his home. What these idiots didn't know was that at an ATM, you know, you can only withdraw up to $500 a day. Anything else not only looks suspicious, but your picture is not only that, but it's taken at every single ATM anyway. So now they had a dilemma. What to do with this white woman who for sure was going to drive, you know, straight to the police and tell them, you know, what she did or what they did. What should they do now? To make matters worse, 15-year-old Brian, who was driving Yvette's car, she got separated from the other dudes who was in the van, and he felt comfortable enough to use Yvette's cell phone that she had left in her car. Because he couldn't find the others, at around 12.37 a.m., he was dumb enough to call Jamal's house, thinking that they all just went over to his house. He ended up abandoning Yvette's car in the 1100 block of Walnut Avenue in southwest Baltimore, and Jamal scooped him back up after coming to get him. Then, with Yvette still in the van, they all drove to the 300 block of Athol Avenue near Emerson Village. With Yvette struggling, fighting, and screaming for her life inside the van to shut her up, they turned up the music and rolled the windows up. Then they tied up her arms and legs. Then Jamal put a blindfold over her eyes, untied her legs, and forced her out of the van. Then, at gunpoint, he made her walk to the woods that used to be on Athol Avenue. I think either behind or close to Westside Skill Center or behind, it used to be like a graveyard, but... I know for a fact that Yvette knew that she was going to be killed. I mean, that's what, and that these dudes wasn't just going to let her get away. With Yvette back turned to him, Jamal pulled out the gun and without hesitation shot Yvette in the back of her head. Then he hopped back in the van and they all just drove off, leaving Yvette's body in the woods. The whole ordeal lasted about two hours from start to finish when Yvette didn't come home that night and especially when she didn't show up for work the next day she was reported missing to the Anne Arundel County Police Department at first Yvette's case was just a regular Mrs. Persons case but when the police learned that her cell phone had been used to call a house at around 11:30 p.m. the night before when they called the number traced it and they went directly to Jamal's home. The family told the police that Jamal didn't even know nobody named Yvette Beeks. At the same time, Baltimore City Police found Yvette's car around 2 p.m., which had been abandoned in the 1100 block of Walnut Avenue. And that's when Yvette's case moved up to a homicide investigation. And homicide detectives took over the investigation. 
with the four of their fingerprints all over the car, the detectives easily found one of the accused killers, and of course, he wasted no time in snitching on the rest. Eventually, on Sunday, August the 12th, 2001, around 9 a.m., four days after she went missing, one of the accused killers led the detectives to Yvette's body in the woods. All four of these dudes were charged as adults and held without bail for Yvette's first-degree murder. Now, known as an intense lover of dogs and music, friends and family told reporters for the Baltimore Sun that Yvette's once skated across the state of Georgia for charity. She would stop in the middle of the highways to rescue dogs who were stranded, and she always kept a smile on her face. Yvette also raised money for various charities like the March of Dimes. Her family remembered her as being very smart, very capable, very enthusiastic about life, and a person who was extremely loyal, friendly, and an inspiration to others. To avoid the death penalty, Jamal pled guilty to first-degree murder charges, use of a handgun in the commission of a crime of violence, carjacking, conspiracy to carjack, robbery with a deadly weapon, and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. And the 1996 graduate of Frederick Douglass High School received a life sentence without the possibility for parole. The rest of the defendants followed suit and pled guilty also. Larry received a 45-year prison sentence. Brian McMillan, uh, Jamal's brother-in-law, he complained that he had gotten out the car. So since he got out the car, he ain't had nothing to do with Yvette getting killed. He was like, I know nothing that I know that they was going to do what they did. I mean, he was like, I know they was going to kill nobody. I know nothing this was going to go down. Yeah, whatever. That could be true one way or the other, but either way, either way, he still got sentenced to 45 years in prison. Brian Wilson, the driver of Yvette's car, received a 35-year prison sentence. At Jamal's sentencing hearing, Yvette's brother looked right at Jamal and told him that he deserved. He flat out told him that he deserved to die in prison. He said, my final hope for Jamal Barnes is that your final hours are devoid of hope and miserable. And the assistant state's attorney commented to the Baltimore Sun, this case was every parent's nightmare. It's every parent's worst dream that some group of cruel strangers will take a person at random and murder them in a really tragic and vicious way. Oh, forgot to tell you. Oh yeah, on September the 5th, 2001, two 911 dispatchers were later fired for not telling the police about that second call. Both of them should have known better because one of the dispatchers had 24 years of experience and the other one had 8 years of experience. Later, in 2002, Yvette's friends and family established the Yvette Beak Scholarship Fund as a memorial to her and also to provide financial support for professional students who have made significant and important contributions to community of healthcare issues or causes. And in January of 2005, Yvette's family did file a lawsuit against the Anne Arundel County EMS system saying that Yvette could have been saved if the 911 dispatchers had simply done their jobs in the first place. 
A federal judge in Baltimore dismissed the lawsuit, but the family later appealed. No money was ever exchanged, but Yvette's death did cause 911 to revamp its policies and procedures. Now, whew, again, like I said in the beginning of this case, the reason why this particular homicide was notorious and kind of like high profile in the state of Maryland, because look at what you had. Look at what you had. I mean, she was killed simply for no reason or because she looked like she had money. And the mentality of four dudes just riding around Baltimore City looking for somebody to rob. You can blame it on the lead in the water. You can blame it on the environment of Baltimore. Oh, there's not no rec centers, opens or whatever. But look at the mentality of four dudes driving around looking for somebody to rob to pay for an, an earlier crime. That's Baltimore mentality. That's the, the mentality of Baltimore murderers. It's a shame, but that's true. Um, there's also like no telling what she went through. The the mental torture that must have been. I can't even imagine it. You know, to not know that any minute could be your last. I believe that they should have received the death penalty. I believe there should have been a death penalty case. I know that to avoid the a death sentence that Jamal did accept the sentence of life without uh parole but that even shouldn't that should not even have been an option he should have received the death penalty because like i said the mentality and he recruited a bunch of 15 year olds a bunch of kids basically i mean come on now it this this was the reason why and plus like i said let's be honest Four black dudes looking for a white woman to rob. Oof. I'm surprised they didn't receive the death penalty on this one, to be honest with you. I mean, because, yeah, if you're not from Baltimore, if you don't remember this case, I mean, this one, it was in 2000. Like I said, it happened in 2000, 2001. But when this happened, and off of Athol Avenue, Emerson, Emerson Village area, yeah, this one stood out for my mind and will always be one of Maryland's most notorious murders that occurred when these two 911 dispatchers screwed up this girl's messed up basically caused her to lose her life. Now, moving right on to into this week's unsolved homicide. Well, before I do, let me just mention that I know y'all think this is just a podcast that's focusing on, you know, high-profile homicides, but it's not just a, pro- a podcast that focuses on the gruesome, you know, the notable, the, the notoriety ones, not just those homicide cases in Maryland. On this podcast, a portion will also always be dedicated to victims where nobody knows what happened, where nobody knows, or I should say, where nobody is telling nothing about what happened where a victim was literally here one minute and then they were gone the next minute. And you'd be surprised at the number of people who were killed and like the friends and the family, they have a feeling, they have a hunch that they know who killed their loved one, but because they can't prove it or they don't have no actual evidence or clues, they don't know how to go about getting the answers. They don't know how to go about getting justice for the victim and they are still left with tons of unanswered questions unbelievable grief and it's like the victim just died all over again especially during the holiday time like it is now 
it's, it's hard to just move on with your life like that when you have so many unanswered questions. You're expected to just move on, pick up where you left off, hope that the, the detectives will do their job, and then hope that the justice system will deliver to you some sort of justice that can either come close to or equal to the feelings that you experience when you lose a loved one to homicide. Um, getting justice in the state of Maryland anyway don't happen a lot. And to be blunt, detectives are kept busy with the homicide cases that already have clues and evidence and witnesses and stuff like that. But what about the homicide cases that don't have these clues? What happens to all those homicide cases? With no clues, no help at all, no tips, these cases are eventually labeled as cold cases and put on a back burner, so to speak. And to be honest, Nothing really happens until evidence falls out the sky or something or the detectives decide to look into it again. Well, on this podcast, every single unsolved homicide in my book needs attention. No matter the victim, no matter the victim's lifestyle, no matter what they did or did not do in their personal life. I mean, who, who the hell are we to judge when we damn sure ain't perfect ourselves? That mentality kills me like every single time it do. So and so and so deserved to be killed because they was tricking or so and so was selling drugs or doing whatever and they deserved it. Really? Last time I checked, none of y'all are named God and nobody is perfect. We all make mistakes. So with that being said, the focus for season six unsolved homicides, that's that's gonna be all women. Right now we're doing a tribute to women. All women who have lost their life in the state of Maryland as the result of homicide. And this episode's unsolved homicide. This episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 28-year-old Jasmine Chandler. An argument leads to two women being shot. One woman loses her life and the other woman, who was seven months pregnant, loses the life of her unborn child. (laughs) A witness told the Baltimore City Police officers that on Sunday, February the 25th, 2018, a little before 5 p.m., 28-year-old Jasmine Chandler and her seven-month pregnant girlfriend were sitting in a vehicle that was parked in a 5100 block of Park Heights Avenue. The two had headed out to get hair supplies from a nearby beauty supply store on Park Heights near Belvedere Avenue when after arguing with an unknown person, a bystander told police that an unknown shooter ran up to their parked car and pulled the trigger of a gun several times. Both Jasmine and her friend were shot. Both women were rushed to an area hospital where Jasmine died. Jasmine's friend lived but her unborn baby also died in the hospital. Jasmine, who loved doing hair ever since she was a child, was supposed to do her friend's daughter's hair on the same night that she was killed. Jasmine, who had a 10-year-old daughter, had just recently completed a course certifying her in CPR, and she was supposed to start her new job at an elder care facility on Greenmont Avenue in East Baltimore, literally the day after she was killed. 
Jasmine's murder destroyed and crushed her family, and her father released a statement to the Baltimore Sun stating, People are just killing for no reason. It's just crazy out here now. It has sunk in and it hasn't it, it has sunk in and it hasn't sunk in. I'm just wondering why. That's all. Just why. You've got guys shot out here, you know, killing women. It's just terrible. It's just getting closer and closer to home. Things happen, people doing things, you know, it's just getting crazy out here. Now, the Baltimore City Police Department managed to release still photos of four men who they specifically wanted to bring in for questioning. But so far, absolutely nothing and no one has ever come forward with any new information in this homicide. So, whew, man, y'all already know the next part and what I'm about to say. If you know of or have any information at all that can lead to an arrest or conviction in this unsolved homicide, please call Cold Case Detectives at 410-396-2100. You can also give them a call at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can also send them a text message at 443-402-488. You can also email them at homicidetips at baltimorepolice.org. Once again, those numbers are, you can call Cold Case Detectives at 410-396-2100. You can give them a call at Metro Crime Stoppers, which is 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can send a text message at 443-402-4824. You can also email them at homicidetips, that's tips with an S, at baltimorepolice.org. You can remain anonymous, people. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, eye-popping episodes. Also, for paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, the raw, the unedited truth of why I do what I do, why I got into true crime, and why I started writing all the books and the podcasts and all that. A lot of people think a lot of people think I just woke up one day and was like, "Boom. I'm going to start a true crime podcast." But nope. That is hardly true. There is a full-blown method to all of this madness, and this wasn't just some overnight gimmick. Also, please be sure to pay a visit to the new website, um, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders.com, and Maryland is spelled MDS, Most Notorious Murders with an S.com, where you can access episodes from all of the seasons, season one through six. You can also find links to all of the true crime books that are related to this podcast entitled Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990-2008, through 2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1, and Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore. It's not really related to this podcast, but that's still a true, true crime book that everyone must read. You can also find links to my local bestsellers, Junkie, A True Baltimore Story, and Child of Baltimore. Be sure to tune in next week 
where another gruesome high-profile homicide occurring in Maryland will be examined, will be profiled, and it will be discussed on Maryland's most notorious murders. This has been a Savage Life production.